apologies, we're, we're, we're running slightly late. Uh, we're going we're gonna to try to keep the session on time so that people are not late for the next session. Uh, my name is Lerato. Uh, I'm the programs manager of Voice of It. Um, I think as all of you saw in the program, um, my job is twice here. Um, I will facilitate and moderate the session, um, and I'll also be giving the first presentation about uh, FISMAS4. Um, and um, uh, our next speaker uh, who will be coming after me is Sharita Vanderberg uh, from MFM. She's the station manager. She'll then uh, uh, give her presentation. Afterwards, we'll do a Q&A session. Um, if that's okay with everybody, we can get the show on the road. Uh, fees must fall, telling your own story. Um, we're going to be, I'm going to try to keep this very succinct because we did quite uh, a bit of work around this. Can I just switch off the light? I'm going to talk a little bit about who we are as voice of us. Um, we're a campus radio station that belongs, to, that belongs to this university, and we have the pleasure of uh, talking a little bit about what we did last year, which was a hell of a task given the fact that we hadn't done any form of reporting at a large scale besides a tiny little news team that we run. Our business, core business, is music, but we do have uh, talk content. Uh, Voice of It, um, as we describe it, we say it's the lifeblood of one of the largest tertiary institutions. Uh, we're 24 hours, uh, 360, maybe about four, because on Christmas Eve then we go off. But we cater to about 28,000 students, which come from different places uh, all around the country, um, catering to them in musical forms like dance, rock, pop, uh, hip-hop, uh, which happen... 95% of the time, but what happens between 6 and 8, Monday to Thursday, is that we will have talk show programs that will, range on show, that will have arranging shows from science, law, current affairs, uh, and social issues which affect our listener, which is um, the student. We identify our student as blip. The reason why we do this is because the people who come here are from across the continent, they're from places, um, they're from different continents, they're from overseas, they're from the international community, but also they are black, they are colored, they are, um, they are white, they are Afrikaans, they are English, they are German. So when we say blip, we don't want people to have a racial identification to who the station is, we want people to have an experiential identification to who our listener is. Um, and when I went back to a, what we say our new style guide is, uh, besides the fact that we do have three main bulletins because of the fact that the people who run the business and make our business work are our students. Uh, we have three news bulletins. We have an 8 o'clock news bulletin, we have a 1 o'clock, and we have a 5 o'clock. Uh, and then in between we'll have headlines. But what is most important is to make sure that um, we have leading stories, but the lead of the most uh, stories that we see news value in, but a huge part of what we do is ensure that we have what is called local content. This um, is important to us because in Joburg, you can access almost every single radio station on your radio. Why would you want to listen to us? Because we have the competitive edge to give you the story. That would necessarily not be important to YFM. That would necessarily not be important to an SABC station which needs to cater to a national market. So ensuring that we reflect stories of the people in our community, which is the immediate um, VITS student community, but also the Bromfontein sector, but also the core student, is what is important to us. 
So just remember this when we talk about the FMF story. A little bit about uh, the circumstances that had happened just before the fees must fall, which if there are people who are not aware, fees must fall happened in October uh, last year. Um, it started, and I don't like saying this, but it started at WITS when the actual context was the fact that RMF started at UCT around issues of transformation at universities. So the issue pertaining to finance and money and fees um, was what, what Vids can claim to say, fees must fall was our own, when in actual fact there was a bigger context that existed. Um, a week before, uh, we remember that there was an insourcing, um, there was a bit of an insourcing um, demonstration that happened uh, we remember we had an OB on-site um, with a private client uh, and students were coming back from their short picket around the university and made it to the street and dismantled what we had, what we had organized for the client because a huge part of our business also um, is to bring clients on campus because clients want to access students. So this being clients that provide brands, these being clients that provide some sort of thing that they think relates to the student market. So we're also an access point for them. Um, and when this happened, there were murmurs around something bigger that was about to happen the week, the week after. Uh, little did we know um, until we were faced with what we were faced with on the 14th um, when... Just by chance, I usually say I never like to go on campus because unfortunately for us, uh, we're right at the end of the university. We don't find ourselves in the middle, um, right in the main spot of campus, which is um, the Matrix, which is sort of our, our little mini shopping mall and gathering. I happened to be there just by mere chance at 11 o'clock, trying to get my lunch, minding my own business. But as usual, these things happen. I take the stairs and people are talking about shutting down the entrances and exits. What had happened in the morning was when people were trying to get to work, the first thing that people were faced with in and around the Jan Smuts area, whether either going to Melville, Auckland Park, whether you were going to the city center, the one problem that you had was that there was a takeover. Students had left using the Empire exit uh, to start their demonstration. So this means a lot of traffic was affected, but a lot of mainstream news media did not think it was a story. Um, this might be very controversial for me to say, but um, I'll, I'll explain why I say this um, in a little bit. Uh, because I had one of my interns, who also was an intern for a mainstream um, news provider for radio, uh, came in the morning, like, well, there's nothing happening here. I'm on my way back to the office. I'm like, okay, cool. And at, at about 11, 12 o'clock, this is what happened. Unfortunately, we don't have the video. Um, but a lot of the students gathered at the Matrix, and there was sort of, that was their hub where they were delivering their instructions. This was before the, um, the famous or infamously known Solomon Mashango House was a center space for where people would receive instructions. Uh, but they were at the Matrix and they were delivering instructions to students to shut down the entrances and the exits. This is when we realized how big what was happening was about to hit us. And I don't think we were ready. I don't think we are ready because usually what we try to do, um, and especially with our students, is to sort of, we work on a volunteer basis. So this means our students cannot be available all of the time. 
So we usually say to them, they must sort of avail themselves um, for about a minimum 10 hours a week. So this means you can understand that if I'm there 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, if, if any of my students are available there for 10 hours a week, it's next to nothing. So we don't have a consistent supply, but that's how we keep the organization running. Um, students, staff, and support staff, academic and non-academic staff were involved. Uh, but right at the beginning, this was not necessarily the case. So, what, so, so, so the thing that had happened uh, when we realized how big the shutdown was going to be is that we sort of had to go back to the office and just gather up a few people that we have. We, have the, we, have the, we are fortunate enough to have um, interns that, we, that, we, um, that cross between working for us and also work for, for EWN. So we do have, we do have like a two-man team which will have a couple of volunteers that will make sure that we've got the news stories for today. As I said, we've got 8 o'clock, we've got 1 o'clock, and we've got 5 o'clock. We've got some headlines in the afternoon. And that's what we were trying to, we had to try and figure out was what was really going on. And the thing that makes it very difficult to try and figure out what was going on um, is because the people who are supposed to help tell the story are part of the story. Um, this is difficult because people don't want to classically be seen as impimpi, for example, or an informer, because that was a very treacherous position. Um, that was a very treacherous position for our students. Some of them were, were significantly very deep within the movements on campus just as part of their life, but some of them not really. And the other thing that made it um, a very interesting but yet a difficult thing that we had to teach was to teach people the texture of the importance of news. A lot of people, um, we've, we've had to go through a lot of the process that indicated that, okay, um, let me just explain what's going on here very quickly. This was the, this was the document that was um, um, handed out on the 14th. Uh, and some of the people who belonged to the movement received it the day before. So this was in effectively, from what I understood, was planned from the, day, um, from the weekend before it actually happened on the Wednesday. And it basically indicated the terms and conditions of the, of the demands of the students and what they were actually looking at. Like, for example, um, overall fee increase was standing at about 10.5%, um, and the upfront fee payment was 6%. Uh, these were the possible increases. Um, the residence fee was at 9.4% um, and the international student fees were at 10.7%. Uh, so this document was thrown all over campus once the shutdown had sort of uh, kind of started and was uh, people had started to, to sort of fill the entrances and had started with their, their initial plans. This was the actual first day at the, at the center, which is called The Matrix. Security weren't prepared. Um, I say this because when I was there, uh, security just ended up showing up, but then they, they, they didn't know what their role was. They didn't know what they were going to do. Uh, students gathered, as I said, at The Matrix, and this was where information was filtered. This was two days later. Um, when the shutdown happened initially, in its first instance, uh, the university and the management didn't think the shutdown was going to go on for that long. 
uh, it took a couple of hours, but eventually police were brought on campus. Uh, and when police were brought on campus, students were questioning why the university brought police on campus um, instead of letting people peacefully demonstrate. But the one thing that um, a lot of us have had a debate about is when people say it's a peaceful demonstration and a display, how is it that a shutdown doesn't sort of a affect people aggressively, right? Because as much as you want to say you're peacefully demonstrating and that is the modus operandi, um, how is it that people are not allowed to use entrances and exits, but this is the method that they chose for the shutdown. Um, and ultimately it led to a lot of clashes that happened uh, among students who wanted to leave the campus and a lot of people will say these were white students because a large number of the people who were part of the crowd that was part of the protest were a lot of black students. But what was also important to note was that some white students who were involved and wanted to participate were being told to go away. So these are some of the things that we had to deal with. We can speak about them in retrospect because a lot of things have kind of happened. Um, but this was on Friday, and Friday was the third day of the protest. The VC was away on the higher education conference, and he had just returned. And a lot of students were getting upset by the mere fact that they felt like the university didn't want to engage them properly. Instead, they were using the force of the police, because the police used to violently, sort of like aggressively try to move students out of the entrance, entrance ways and exit ways, um, and they were, they were trying to find out what are the police doing on our campus. We weren't told that the police were going to be here, so much so that a lot of academic staff had put themselves in front as a possible cannon fodder should anything happen to students. Um, and this was on Friday when um, Professor Adam Habib, I remember these were one of the first pictures I got sent, um, when Professor Adam Habib was, um, was, had, had come back from Durban and was um, um, available. And this was the first gathering where he had hoped to address students, but students had another thing in mind because they wouldn't let him talk. This was another thing. Um, the picture on, on, on this far side, this is Friday evening. Uh, which I chose to call the night vigil because this was the first um, time that Solomon was occupied alongside with what people were, were claiming as a hostage sit-in where people wanted answers from management and no one was allowed to go home. A lot of that stuff was very difficult for us to cover because a lot of our students were very emotional because it was part of who they are. It was part of they were part of this gathering. So it made it difficult to try and get someone to calm down and tell you what the situation was, to tell you what was going on, to tell you what is important, without sounding like, I hate what's going on, these are the things that are going on. So it was very difficult to, to try and constantly remind people of objectivity. Fortunately for us, um, we, we were also on the field. Given the fact that we've got the experience having worked in proper newsrooms, it was always important because the decision we made it, we made it and we were brave enough to say, should the journalism department sit us down and say, this was out of order, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, we were actually willing to stand by our decision. Not knowing why, but we thought this story is very important to tell and we're not going to choose not to tell the story. Reason being, for example, UJ was not allowed to touch the story as a university. You would see the UJ 
timeline, which is the University of Johannesburg, which is down the road from here, they weren't allowed to cover the story. It was very clear what management had said to them. They were not allowed to touch the story. But we chose to go in the story and not leave it because if we were not able to tell the story, then who was going to be able to tell the story? And the people who were there could tell you the Daily Fox was giving us a run for our money. Part of the things that we had to report on, I'll touch very briefly, are some of the things that made it very, made our position very difficult, especially for our volunteers, because they had to be objective about the things that were going on and also tell us the things that were, that were going on. But we also had to be objective to find out what, were, what is the story that we're trying to tell. Are we trying to be as objective as possible? Or because we're affected by the situation, we're going to somehow be biased in a kind of way. I mean, when we received this, I think this was on a Saturday morning, these are turnstile access, um, um, access um, units which were destroyed and removed. And this was part of the things that were removed and destroyed as the protest went on. I mean, we remember the, the library, the main library's glass doors were broken and apparently a fire was to ensue. Um, also at the matrix close to where the dining hall entrance was. So these were some of the things that we constantly begged and asked our students to constantly keep, keep us with the information. Some of them would just give us, send us private information and say, no, I can't publicly report because it's going to make my position very, very difficult. We also were able to receive information from other campuses. The audio that, that I'll play um, were a couple of crossings. We spoke to people, students from UCT, we spoke to students from Rhodes, we spoke to students from UP. Um, for example, this was the first gathering that the students at the University of Pretoria had. Um, and this was a couple of days only later. I remember receiving these pictures as I woke up in the morning. Um, a friend of mine had sent me pictures that of, of what was happening at UCT. Now, the thing about this um, covering the story was that it was so viral and things kept moving so quickly. So by the time you wake up in the morning, um, Twitter has gone crazy. Like, Twitter didn't, like, stand still, didn't slow down at any given point. There were pictures all over. So it wasn't as if there wasn't an image. And it, it showed some sense of how big the story was, and for the first time, and this is one of the lessons I'll speak about at the end of the presentation, for the first time, students, campus radio stations, campus newspapers, the ones who chose and who could cover the story, were leading instead of mainstream news providers. As you can see, this is a post by one of the SRC reps from um, Rose University. Um, this is um, a fee structure document, I think, of a couple of screen grabs uh, from what the fee structure looked like at UCT then. This was a very difficult day for me to cover when, when the presentation shows. It was a day when all the students had decided on the 22nd that they were going to go to Lutuli House, and the police were not having any of it at all. This made it difficult because... I remember UJ students came and people were not clear on what the mandate was. Earlier on in the day, I remember yesterday we were speaking about it, earlier on in that day, the, U the, the SRC president for VIZ was asked if the students were going to Lutulia House to deliver a memorandum or not. And she said, there's nothing of that sort. We still are going to protest, we still are going to study, we still are going to 
do cover the peaceful proce process and the protests that we've covered, but we're not going to Lutuli House. There is nothing of this Lutuli House that people are speaking about. Now, this kind of showed a different side because now we had to consider that there were different pockets of where information was coming from. Um, if the SRC president said this, but some of the students were saying Lutuli House was the next destination, when UJ students arrived, and, and the police, I remember, were barricading um, um, the Mandela Bridge, which is like literally like a stone throw from where Lutuli House is, which is really downtown from where we are. Um, and it was, it was, now we're starting to see that there are many sides of this coin. Um, and one of the things that was a huge issue was that people were wondering, why is there a gender divide? Why is there a gender divide? Because that was part of the story that was very important. Uh, they call themselves the marginalized bodies right now, but a huge part of the female leadership um, during the protest had decided to sort of um, gather on their own because there was an issue around disrespect uh, by male comrades. Um, and I remember one of the, um, the EFF leaders, I think you, you all might know Vuyani's face, Vuyani had actually had to indicate to the gathering to say, guys, please, can you be respectful of everybody speaking? Because the female comrades were feeling like there's an issue around respect from male comrades. So this was one of the things that sort of made us realize that there might be many sources of information and there might be different powers pulling in different directions. One of the things that we did, and it will also be clear in the audio that we played, we had to pick up everything um, and just run with it. And we've never had to cover a story like this before. Um, it, it was very difficult, but a lot of what we tried to do was to make sure that even if the station got mileage, um, our position wasn't seen as people who were trying to capitalize on the story and to get numbers. Um, because when we decided to do this, this was our old our marketing manager from last year, when we decided to have the share your story campaign right in the middle of the protest, right in the middle of that time happening, we had to be sensitive about people telling their stories, but the mere fact and understand that it was going to get traction, it would result in good and positive results. I mean, in the first week that we covered the protest, or the first uh, three days or five days that we covered the protest, we were 1,000 followers up. I think currently we're standing at about 10,000. And we hadn't seen such a huge increase the last time was when we did a campaign. So we had to be thoughtful about how we did this, but we knew there would be some positive spin-offs that the radio station would benefit from. After, I think, four or five hours, a lot later in the afternoon, there was a decision not knowing where from. This can still not be told, where students were allowed to go over the bridge and go to Lutuli House. This was 3 o'clock when at about 10, 11 o'clock, the police didn't want to let the students go across the bridge. Um, and ultimately, people made their way to Lutuli. Uh, and they had the intention to deliver a memorandum. And a lot of the controversy and the conversation happened around those people that are in that frame right at the top. Because apparently from then on, there was a conversation about how people were going to politically benefit. There were issues around financing and 
and financing whether of the protest or financing people separately and how uh, these student leaders are perceived after this point on and even currently. And this meant that after this moment, the story didn't stop because people's political careers were launched. A lot of people had said and had spoken about the launching of people's political careers. This also makes it very difficult for us to find out what is happening, what is really happening. Are, people, are people's sentiments genuine or are they in the... In the, in the aid of their own careers because they see that now that we've got um, a nationwide following and a nationwide outwake, we, people could essentially benefit. This was the Friday, um, um, I think two weeks into the protest, when ultimately uh, there was a decision around whether the 6% increase would happen or not. Um, a lot of students made their way. Um, most institutions provided buses, they provided food for students, they provided all of that kind of stuff, and the president was to address people. But a lot of what happened before the address that did not happen by the president was that SRC leaders from different institutions were sitting behind closed doors and were getting their own deals signed off. We are not there, we can't necessarily tell the story. The media tried to not, the mainstream media tried to not even tell that story. And it was very difficult for us to talk about and to tell that story. Um, I think just in ending, um, a lot of the things that I had in my last slide as part of the lessons um, of the protest was the mere fact that we could be at a leading, at a leading role when it came to telling the story. I had a lot of people who I've worked with from, from mainstream um, pick up the phone and call me and say, I'm looking for someone who can cross. Because ideally music stations, we, people we feel don't make a significant contribution as opposed to talk stations, make a significant contribution to the news stuffing. I had people call me from different places asking, can I, can I, do you have any, any one of your students to do a crossing for me? Because we are still that platform where people know that we gen were, were sort of generating young talent. But it was also very interesting to see that mainstream news didn't have a hang on the story, but they still had to tell the story. It was very important for them to tell the story, but the inside nuances that we were stuck with, um, that we had to deal with, uh, made, made it very interesting the position that we had, because we were the source, we were the, the reference point. Even mainstream news sources would go on our timelines and our feeds. So that was the positive spin-off. That meant that we, we had to be okay, and we had to be proud of the fact that we covered the story. But one of the things that we also had, could you please go to the last slide? Thanks. Uh, one of the issues that we also had was the fact that uh, we dealt with one of the issues I say misinformation and accountability, the tweet that led to the fetching. Uh, a lot of young people know what I mean when I say fetching. It's when people you get publicly dragged in the mud and dealt with, basically. Um, it was a tweet around who the actual legitimate leaders of the movement were. And after one of our students had casually posted something and said, well, if, if, if these were the leaders of your movement, which struggle song would you want to dedicate to them and that kind of stuff? And we had a lot of backlash from a lot of um, people who felt like there was an erasure of the feminine leadership of this whole movement because it seems there are a lot of sects. 
so we had to deal with that and publicly apologize. Um, I remember one of, my, one, of my, one of my volunteers calling frantically and saying, this is what's going on. And I'm like, I just left the office last night at 9 o'clock. Please just give me five minutes to wake up. Uh, because we had to literally, for those two weeks, we worked nonstop uh, just like that because it was very important. And also given the fact that a lot of us come from a mainstream news background, if a story is big, when, when, when Nelson Mandela passed away, all newsrooms were working left, right, and center for a whole month, for the first two weeks, flat. You know? So this was also our story that we had to carry. So we had to do a lot of, we, we had to apologize for that incident and that scenario. And then that meant that we saw that we had to consciously conscientize our students about the communication and trying to find out which part of the story they would like to pick on, which part of the story they would like to tell and why it was important for them to tell the story. Um, that's, that's my first point right there. Um, the issue of dealing with bias. Um, our students as a storytellers, uh, fire or flame. You know, because sometimes people were so upset, you had to sort of try and find out who was available for starters, if people got some sleep, if people didn't get shoved by police or taken to a police station or, or pepper sprayed or whatever, you had to find who was available. And then the people who were available, the people who were available were highly emotional. So how do you kind of do, and how do you kind of get more information from them without feeling that emotion because it just, translated from one person to the next. Um, and, and I said, understanding the use of language and the impact that it had on how we saw our coverage, that part, dealing with angry, upset, emotional students who have issues around fees and not affording accommodations because some people are sleeping in libraries, because some people are sleeping in computer labs, and asking those same people to help tell the story was one of the most difficult things. Um, and also, social media. When I said that social media never died down, whether Twitter, whether Facebook, um, nothing was off limits and information just kept on flowing. A huge part of this conversation when I was having with people that I know who work at mainstream is like, some of the stuff was like some slight exaggeration. And I completely agree. I completely agree because there'd be like little drops of blood and they're like, oh, the African child and that kind of stuff. And people are like, yeah, we get it. We get the gravitas of the situation, but I think some people are just milking it. Um, and uh, I spoke about leading the story. So what we'll do right now is that I'll play, um, I'll play a couple of pieces of audio. Um, I think they're about 10 minutes long, um, all in all, and then I'll sort of explain as, as, as each are finished. Do you want to play? Breaking Ground, the show that asks the questions that matter. Now, in light of the recent fees protests across the country, we want to profile some of the stories from students as to how university fees and fee increments in higher education institutions have affected them in their quest for a qualification. Share your stories on the VOWFM Facebook timeline using the hashtag ShareMyStory. Otherwise, you can email the station your digits if you wish to share your story live on air. The email address is info at you can also give us a call on 011-717-9881. Voice of it's in support of students. Right now, you know, we're in a situation where there's only one parent working. So, you know, other parents is, is already in retirement, which means it's a greater toll on our family. So it's just tough. 
plus the fact that I have another sister who's going, who's facing the same fees increments, even more actually at Stellenbosch, where they're saying 12%, at least now the whole 6% cap is something and in the positive direction, but we still want a, a situation where we have one of the 0% increase students in fees. To find out what is actually going on on their campus. I'm saying a UCT student, but she actually happens to be my family. Hi, how are you? I'm okay, thanks for yourself. I'm good, thank you. Welcome to the voice of it. And uh, yeah, sorry to put you out on blast at work family, but I also just want to make sure that you're safe with all the craziness that's happening on We divert our eyes to Rose University where protests broke out. about actually for those people maybe who haven't heard about what's going on at your campus? I'll just only play those two audio clips. Um, um, I wanted to play the second one especially because when I say the people who told the story were part of the story, there was just no way you could tell the story without the people who are affected by the story. This is what made it a lot difficult. As you can hear, um, Kinsani was speaking to her own cousin who was a student at UCT to find out what was going on. We couldn't run away from that. That was a huge part of what we did. And in the first clip, um, you heard um, uh, a student speaking about their circumstance around why they'd want the fee increase. That was a basic low-hanging fruit of the things that we required to make people understand the context and why it was important for, for, for them to understand what was actually going on. So we, couldn't, we could not not tell the story and choose to play music and choose to, to ignore it or neglect it. Thank you very much.